Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the United States, approximately 4,200 Indigenous people go missing and are murdered, all unsolved. Although it is thought these numbers are way higher due to underreporting. We will get to that over the next couple of months. But even at the official numbers, these are alarming rates. On some reservations, women experience violence and are victims of homicide at 10 times the rate of women in other communities. This is obviously a complex issue with prejudice and jurisdictional issues and these all play major roles. Unsolved murdered Indigenous women, this week, are mysteriously listed. Number 8. Micheline Pierre 18-year-old Micheline Pierre grew up in Quebec but moved to the Hudson's Hope area of British Columbia after school because she believed there was more opportunity there. Some time before her remains were found, Micheline was seen hitchhiking throughout the area and for those who didn't have access to a car, this was a normal way for people to get from A to B. According to police reports, two women had picked up Micheline and dropped her off at the gates of Thompson Ranch on Highway 20, between Fort Street John and Hudson Hope. August 8, 1970. Micheline's body was found around 21 kilometres or 13 miles away. A group of people picking berries along the highway discovered her body. Police determined she'd been beaten with a blunt weapon, and although her body was too badly decomposed to confirm, they also believed she had been sexually assaulted. Police circulated a photo of Micheline throughout the area in order to generate leads or information. Since Micheline's death, an RCMP task force called ePANA was created to investigate the series of unsolved murders along the highway, including Micheline's. The purpose of the task force was, quote, to determine if a serial killer or killers is responsible for murdering young women travelling the highways of British Columbia, unquote. To date, Micheline's murder still remains unsolved. Number 7. Monica Ignis 14-year-old Monica Ignis was originally from Houston, British Columbia, but her family moved to the Terrace area in 1973, living in an incorporated community off of Highway 16 called Thornhill. Monica was last seen alive on the night of December 13, 1974, at around 11pm. She was walking home from school along Highway 16 in the direction of her home. She was wearing a blue woolen duffel coat, blue socks and brown wallaby-style shoes. Unfortunately, Monica never made it home. April 6, 1974, four months later, Monica's body was found six kilometres or three and a half miles northwest of Terrace in a gravel pit on a densely wooded surface road known as Seager. Monica's body was decomposed and partially clothed. Police determined that she'd been strangled by her own clothing. 
Two witnesses also reported seeing a car containing a man and what appeared to be a young girl pulled over on the side of the road on the night of Monica's disappearance. However, this vehicle and the occupants have never been formally identified. Monica's case has been included in the e-panel list of unsolved murders and disappearances they are investigating. However, to date, no arrests have been made. Number 6. Ramona Wilson In 1994, Ramona Lisa Wilson was 16 years old and living with her family in Smithers, British Columbia. Ramona was part of the Gitson Nations and the youngest of six children in her family. She had a bubbly personality and was known as a jokester and she was well liked by people. Ramona played outfield on the local baseball team which was sponsored by the Native Friendship Centre and also worked as a dishwasher at Smithy's, a popular chain restaurant. Her mother Matilda Wilson remembered Ramona telling her at the age of 12 that she wanted to be a psychologist and be the first in her family to attend university. The weekend of June 11th was known as a big weekend for teenagers in Smithers as it marked the weekend of their big graduation party. Teenagers were known to stay out all night with friends and other students for a night of celebration and partying. Matilda remembered Ramona being in a good mood on Saturday night, singing and dancing around the house while getting ready for her night out with friends. She remembered Ramona leaving the house around 9.45, presumably to meet her best friend Crystal Grenke. Ramona was seen talking to some neighbours before heading on her way. Crystal was attending her brother's graduation that night and was planning on meeting Ramona afterwards at a dance in Hazelton, a town 70 kilometres away. However, Ramona never showed up to the dance that night and Crystal suspected Ramona's plans had changed and she'd gone to meet her boyfriend in the village of Morstown, where he lived. And Morstown was located halfway between Smithers and Hazelton. On Sunday morning, Ramona's boyfriend called her house looking for her. Matilda told him that she was with Crystal. After calling Crystal and realising Ramona was not there, Crystal called Smithies to see if Ramona was in, but she was not scheduled to work until the next day. On the Monday, Ramona did not appear at school or for her shift at Smithies. Matilda went to the RCMP that day to report her daughter missing, and she was met with indifference as the officers told her to give it time, and that her daughter was probably unhappy at home, had run off and would reappear eventually. Ramona's family did not wait, and they started their own search for her, calling friends and family and driving around town. In the following week, Ramona's bank account, possessions at home and her last paycheck all went untouched. Around this time, the RCMP started to actively search for her. The family also had support from the organisation Missing Children's Society of Canada, which assisted with searches and contributing to reward money. On April 9, 1995, two teenagers were four-wheeling in the area of Yelich Road, just north of the highway, behind the Smithers Airport, nearby a group of old rugby fields, which was known as a popular partying place for teens, when one of their ATVs became stuck in the mud. The boys headed to a nearby wooded area to search for something to use to pry their ATV free. The boys discovered Ramona Wilson's body in the area, almost 11 months after her disappearance. Beside her body was yellow rope and nylon cables. 
Her clothing, leggings and a purple sweatshirt was found nearby, but her shoes have never been found. Ramona's sister Brenda organises a memorial walk for Ramona every June, where she and others walk along the highway for Ramona and other missing women and girls who have disappeared along this highway. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Number five, Roxanne Thiera. Roxanne Thiera was born in Manitoba, Canada. She spent the majority of her childhood growing up in Quenzel, British Columbia, under the foster care of Mildred Thiera and her family of three. Mildred was eventually granted legal guardianship of Roxanne when she was a child. Quote, she was quite a good kid, a real happy, bubbly kid. Unquote. As an adolescent, Roxanne began struggling to attend school regularly and started to hang out with a crowd that was considered a bad bunch, according to Mildred. At the age of 12, Roxanne was incarcerated in a youth detention centre for an unknown petty offence. In the detention centre, Roxanne became friends with another girl, Crystal Granke. Crystal remembered Roxanne as just a young and innocent child in the detention centre. Roxanne's family said the incarceration was, quote, the worst thing that happened to her, unquote, and that after her release, quote, she went wild, unquote. After her release, Roxanne spent a majority of her time in Williams Lake, a town just outside of Quinzel. Finding it difficult to find her way, she turned to drugs and engaged in survival sex, a form of sex trafficking in order to survive. Despite all of these difficulties, Mildred still remembered Roxanne dropping by her house or calling every couple of days. Her family kept faith that things would turn around for her, and in late June of 1994, Roxanne even told Mildred she wanted to enter rehab to stop her addiction. She had always wanted to be a fashion designer and wanted to pursue a better life. She made an appointment to enter a drug treatment program. On June 27, 1994, Roxanne left Mildred's house in Quinzel to return to Prince George to collect her belongings. She told Mildred that she would return the next day. This would be the last time Mildred ever saw or heard from Roxanne, as she did not return to Quinzel as promised. Shortly thereafter, during a long weekend in July, Roxanne told her friend she was going out with a customer in downtown Prince George. She walked around the corner of a building and was never seen again. Throughout the month of July, Mildred began searching and calling around to see if anyone had seen or heard from Roxanne. Flyers were handed out and she was officially reported missing, but there was no news of Roxanne. On August 17, 1994, approximately one month after she disappeared, Roxanne's body was found dumped in the bush along Highway 16, just before the town of Burns Lake. She had been murdered and was only 15 years old. After her body was found, police released Roxanne's photo to the public in hopes that someone would come forward with information 
and they received close to 40 tips after releasing her photo. They believed that whoever murdered Roxanne did so elsewhere and then dumped her body along Highway 16. The family held a small funeral to honour Roxanne's life. Unfortunately, the tips received have not led the police to her killer. Number 4. Ada Brown In 2001, Ada Brown was a 41-year-old mother of two, living in Prince George, British Columbia. Ada had come from a big family and was the youngest of eight siblings and was known as the life of her family. On April 9th, 2001, Ada's lifeless body was found in a hotel room. Within hours of her death, police had determined that Ada had died of natural causes. This was determined without a criminal investigation or autopsy being done. When Ada's body was brought home for her funeral, her family barely recognised her. She had been badly beaten and had bruises on her face and two black eyes. This left many questions for the family as to how her death was determined to be of natural causes and how police were so quick to label it that. Her family were suspicious of the cause of her death because Ada was known to have been in a relationship with a man who was both physically and verbally abusive towards her. Despite Ada's sister and daughter's attempts to stop the relationship, they were unable to get her away. Her family received an autopsy report which stated that the cause of death was from a brain aneurysm. Her family knew that Ada had visited a doctor complaining about headaches before her death, but were sent home with Tylenol and no proper examination each time. Days later, she was found dead. Ada's sister, Terry, believes if she had died from a brain aneurysm, it was from being beaten. No one has been charged in Ada Brown's death, and her family has been fighting for answers to the inconsistency and lack of investigation that was done in her death ever since. The RCMP considers the case closed. Number 3. Aaliyah Auger In 2006, Aaliyah Auger was 14 years old and living in Prince George, British Columbia with her family. Aaliyah was the youngest of six children and part of the Tanae First Nations. Aaliyah, her siblings and her mother were a close unit, despite moving around a lot and even being separated for periods of time. On Thursday, February 2nd, 2006, Aaliyah, her sister Kaya and her brother Tim were headed to Pine Centre Mall to spend the day shopping and hanging out. Pine Centre Mall was located four kilometres from their home and was the largest of its kind in Prince George at that time. Aaliyah and her sister ran into some friends at the mall and the group decided to go out drinking that night. Despite Aaliyah's attempts to persuade her brother to come, Tim decided to skip the outing and head home, leaving the girls in the mall parking lot as they headed off with their friends. No one knows for sure what happened that night, because at some point Aaliyah and her sister were separated and went different ways. Kaya arrived home early in the morning, but didn't find her sister at home as she was expecting. The family spent the entire day waiting for Aaliyah to come home and tried to retrace the steps of the previous night in hopes of finding her but were unsuccessful. On Friday morning, Aaliyah's mother went to the police to report her daughter missing, but they told her to wait 78 hours to see if Aaliyah would show up, and if she didn't, then she could come back again and file a report. 
The family officially filed a report four days later, on February 6th. During this time, the family had already searched the city, contacting friends and family and putting up posters all over town. On February 10th, almost a week after she was last seen at the mall, a motorist driving on the outskirts of Prince George alerted the police of seeing something in the ditch along Highway 16. When police went to investigate, they discovered the body of a young woman in the ditch. The body was identified as that of Aaliyah Auger. Her body was found approximately 23 kilometres east of downtown Prince George. Aaliyah's body was found without any of her clothing or belongings. Police only recovered a necklace around her neck that her mother later identified as the one that she had given her. Police determined that Aaliyah had died from blunt force trauma to the head. While investigating her death, police suggested that Aaliyah had gone to a friend's house late that night to get a ride home. The friend's mother wasn't able to drive her home, though, and Aaliyah, not wanting to call her mother for a ride, was seen walking towards a house where drug dealers were known to hang out. In the years after Aaliyah's death, her family have never given up on their search for answers and set out each year to walk what is called the Highway of Hope, to create awareness of Aaliyah's murder and for the other women who have gone missing or been murdered along Highway 16. Number 2. Amber Tuckero. Amber Tuckero was from Cree First Nation and she was 21 years old and living in Alberta, Canada, where she lived with her mother Tootsie and her young son Jacob. On August 17, 2010, Amber flew to Edmonton from Fort McMurray with her 14-month-old son and a female friend for a weekend trip. Their plan was to spend the night outside the city to save money, then head to Edmonton the next day. On the day of their arrival, Amber decided she wanted to go into the city that night. She left her son with her friend and decided to hitchhike there. When Amber failed to return the next day, her friend called her mother, who then contacted the RCMP to report her missing. Tootsie told the media that the RCMP did not take Amber's disappearance seriously. The RCMP publicly stated that they thought that she was still alive and somewhere in the Edmonton area, and they told Tootsie that she was probably out partying and would eventually reappear. Two years after the RCMP were contacted, a piece of evidence was released, and the RCMP then declared they believed that Amber had been murdered. The evidence was a portion of a phone call that Amber had made while in a car with a man suspected of murdering her. Where are we going? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you kidding me? You better not take me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Hey. Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the f*** is Rose going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. East, right? East. It's a problem. 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 
In this call, we can hear the men insisting that he is driving north to 50th Street. Ember repeats what the men are saying, while still questioning if they are actually going in the correct direction. The RCM people believe that instead of driving Ember north into the city where she wanted to go, the men actually drove her southeast along rural country roads. On September 1, 2012, horseback riders found partial skeletal remains on a farmer's field near Leduc County. The remains were discovered to be that of Amber's. The area was just south of her motel. It was also discovered that even though only a minute of the phone call was released, the actual phone call was 17 minutes in length. That was also the exact length of time it took to drive from her motel to the area where her remains were found. The RCMP had obtained the call in the first place because the person Amber was on the phone with was her incarcerated brother and the facility where he was at had started to record all outgoing calls. I think Amber knew this and knew she was in danger and wanted some evidence of her killer to remain behind. Two women have come forward since the recording has been released and told RCMP they recognised the man's voice heard in the recording. Said one of the women, quote, I know that voice. I've ridden with that voice before on several occasions. There is no doubt in my mind that is his voice. Unquote. Despite these leads, the RCMP have said that they looked into this man but has ruled him out as a person of interest in the investigation. Amber's family filed a complaint on the RCMP in 2014 for their handling of the case. Since then, in 2018, another woman has come forward with evidence. Quote, they didn't look very hard, I don't think. I knew the voice like I know the back of my own hand. Unquote. January 24, 2020. The RCMP made public they received a tip on Amber Tuckerow's homicide profile. Quote, in early December 2019, the RCMP were contacted by a male who alleged that his father may be responsible for a missing person from Leduc County. The man also stated that he believed that his father may be linked to numerous missing persons and homicide files in Alberta. On January 20, 2020, the male advised the RCMP that he believed his father to be also involved in the disappearance and murder of Amber Tuckerow. Unquote. The RCMP are actively investigating this information. Number 1. Rosenda Strong 31-year-old Rosenda Strong was a mother of four and a proud member of the Confederate tribes. She was known as very outgoing and she loved to laugh, which she did often. Rosenda lived with her sister, Sissy Rains, who helped her with the children. On October 2, 2018, Sissy lent Rosenda some money so she could spend a night out with friends. An acquaintance picked her up, and the two drove a short distance to the Legends Casino in Toppenish, Washington, in an older model Nissan. Rosenda was wearing blue jeans and her sister's pink Nike sweater. Rosenda was last seen that night by her aunt playing the slot machines. She hugged and greeted her aunt, seeming bubbly overall. Around midnight, Rosenda was caught on CCTV leaving the casino with an unidentified man. This man has never been identified, and Rosenda has never been seen or heard from alive again. July 4, 2019, almost nine months after her disappearance, two homeless men found human remains in an unplugged freezer. 
located in the 6400 block of US Highway 97 on the Yakima Reservation. Bullet casing surrounded the body. It would be dental records that would confirm the remains belonged to Rosenda Strong. Four years later, no arrests have been made. For Rosenda's family, that lack of progress underscores the widespread problem of murdered and missing Indigenous women whose cases remain unsolved. Said Sissy, quote, People vanish, but it is swept under the rug. Unquote. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.